Alrighty, Two Kingdom Tuesday. Thanks for joining me. We've got some more inner ramblings and soap opera going on on uh, Esco. I should call this Escondido Theology Tuesday. But um, talking about Klein, talking about Two Kingdoms, stay with me. So some more inner slash outer ramblings from your single Lonely Sojourner today. Um, just continuing on our course through um, this, what do you call it? Just uh, kind of, yeah, rambling, I think is probably the best way to put it. Uh, just stuff I am finding <clears throat> super interesting on some of my research. And uh, if anyone, I mean, it is kind of the thing that you would at some level look at if you were in any way interested in the es- Escondido theology frame is the probably been one of the most controversial slash vocal, um, what do you call it, opponents um, of two kingdom theology. And so we're uh, looking at it and especially as it relates to Meredith Mondays and kind of flows on from um, everything we talk about there with Chris. Um, we're at the point or just looking at the point in Frame's book where he deals specifically with Meredith Klein. And, um, of course, he knew him and uh, has read his stuff and has written against it. And uh, so it's just it's helpful to look at that and see if he's got any good points. And, you know, to be honest, I read this chapter. I mean, I, I'm still ultimately, um, I don't think uh, Frame has necessarily moved me from, well, let me actually take a step back. Um, if you think, in terms of the two kingdom theology in general, even before, even before um, there was any, um, like I knew. Let me put it this way: I knew that there's quite a strong edge to Michael Horton's theology, for example, and I knew that there there's the potentiality of just towing the party line there and and not having a nice balance and not at least being brought to to check, you know, that that what you're thinking about, what you're saying is indeed. Solid. You don't want to just stay, say stuff because Michael Horton said it or Meredith Klein said it or, you know, he's, and, and that's everyone's temptation. Um, and to some to some extent, I suppose it's realistic. You know, you, you buy in, you start trusting an author and you you just you just run with what they say. But, you know, you, you got to try and work against that in every way possible. Um, not not to be ridiculously, um, you know, brought to a state of paralysis on every move, but just so that you're, you know, you know, your own weaknesses. Now it's it's been one of my strategies anyway to just okay so that's one of my favorite authors then I'll just see who's the opposing author and I'll always keep a close watch on on what they're saying uh, it's just been the way I've rolled from the beginning all the way from you know everything from King, King James only controversy through to Calvinism and Arminianism it's just helpful it, it keeps you on your toes and you make sure that you believe what you believe and you know sometimes the opposing party makes a good point. And, you know, either that's going to win you over and change your direction or, and I think you do always have to be open to that. Otherwise, something's going wrong. Um, but, but, you know, otherwise, more often than not, this is what happens. It just, it just keeps you a little bit more grounded on a point that you're not 100% sure on. I know Frame himself talks about a, uh, you know, levels of uncertainty. And in fact, this is just a, a uh, common um, way of processing thing. Augustine, you know, in... Um, in, in uh, essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and all things, 
charity um, or whether that was Luther or whoever said that. Um, it's, it's attributed to many different authors. But the bottom line is that rubric has been there and uh, we've got to know what the essentials are. We've got to know what the non-essentials are. We've got to just make sure something similar is happening in our own development of theology and that you're not just, you know, drawing this false sort of confidence on every single point. And I think if you, um, if you have a sparring partner um, who you, you, you respect, um, even if you don't agree, it just helps. It just helps. Ah, okay, that guy made this point. What do I have to say about it? Well, I think I'm more sold on this point. Um, and often it's like, well, he's actually made a really good point, but it's not enough to win the day. So it just means that I'm going to tone it down on that point or just go, listen, I'm not entirely sure about this. And so, you know, I think there's real value in um, doing stuff like we're doing right now, especially if you are totally sold on Meredith Klein and uh, Two Kingdom Theology. Um, well, you could read Frayn's book, you could read many other books, um, but, uh, you know, they're all helpful in just making sure that you've worked through um, your theology right. But, but you know, at the end of the day, also, it's difficult to do that, and no one rarely has the time to work through that at, at a you know major level. So podcasts like this might just be helpful, just to aid you in your own thinking, as you pull out your own pipe and uh, smoke your own cigar and spend your time in the Word, you know, and you're just processing and you're just thinking theology, maybe this podcast will just do something to contribute to that. But um, still by way of introduction, we kind of, uh, we're still setting the, well, we've set it up, but just a few more remarks here, I suppose. Um, in case you don't know, um, again, we're looking at John Frame's book, The Escondida Theology, um, we're bouncing off of it to speak about Two Kingdom Theology, and in this instance, Meredith Klein. Um, he's uh, regarded by Frame, and I think rightly so, as the exegetical sort of source of the Reformed Two Kingdom movement, or project as it's often called. Um, and I think that's right because, you know, as soon as you go f- past that, you you bridge into Two Kingdom the- Theology that's historical, but it's just a little bit more... Um, you know, it ebbs and flows in different ways and you got Lutheranism to contend with and it just gets messy and crazy and historical. And, you know, that's fine. Look at that at another point. But if you're already sold on the Reformed thing and you're already sold at the Reformed Two Kingdom level, uh, Klein, I think, has been the go-to guy for a lot of these guys. They might have deep historical influences, but they do look to Klein for that exegetical substance that uh, has uh, given the movement its leverage. And so uh, Frame identifies that, and um, I think he's right there. Um, he, uh, I, you know, just reading through this book, I didn't realize he had he had overlapped. He says in 1981, Klein joined the faculty of Westminster Theological Seminary in California. We were colleagues there until I left in 2000. Now I'm not sure if Frame joined in 81 uh, or is there already by 81. I mean that that's crazy. So th- that means they would have overlapped for a long time. But he does say. Um, we had a number of disagreements during that time. And he says disagreements that Klein evidently took more seriously than I did. And uh, whether that's true or not, it's hard to say. But, you know, there it is. Um, the thing that I want to do after this, and maybe just this sets it up uh, well while we're talking about it, is I want to look at what Klein did write to the faculty of Westminster concerning John Frame and his perspectivalism. And I'll do that. We'll do that probably on Mondays with Chris. Uh, he's able to track through that really well. And um, he'll guide us through that. Um, the, the the article that he wrote is on, on the MeredithKlein.com website. So you can go and check it out if you want to. But um, we'll look at, it, uh, look at that then. And so I suppose that'll balance this out a little bit in terms of uh, Frame and Klein and their interaction with one another. But for now, we're looking at Frame's perspective 
no pun intended with the perspectivalism thing. And we are um, just trying to see where he's coming from here and, and see if there's anything this to uh, to take uh, on board. But he says, um, uh, you know, just before starting with the actual, uh, actual exegetical work, um, in the end, he, and this is, I, let me read it. He says, in the end, our students and colleagues found his teaching more persuasive than mine, than frames, even to the point of being convinced that his teaching demonstrated my unorthodoxy. Um, uh, and he says, I could not continue to teach in a school where my reformed commitment was not respected. <clears throat> so <laughs> that's quite a, I think that's quite an honest thing to say. I, I appreciate him saying that. Um, it's, it's really quite symptomatic or not symptomatic, but uh, characteristic at least of the whole book and all the frames writings to a certain degree. I just find him very honest. You know, he puts his heart on his sleeve. He puts it out there and he just lets you know where he's at. I appreciate that. Um, and, you know, even to say something like that, you know, I mean, it takes a certain level of humility even to say, well, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Klein kind of won the day here. Um, and I suppose it puts it on us as the reader, I feel, puts it on me as the reader to go, okay, well, if they found it more convincing, well, let me give you your due and let me look at what, what you're saying and let me see if I find it more convincing as well. One thing, I mean, again, I don't know what happened uh, on campus during that time, but to demonstrate, to use Klein's stuff to demonstrate his unorthodoxy, I'm definitely not there yet. Um, like I would say, Frame, at, at worst, would be, you know, I mean, at worst from my perspective, would be at, um, you know, of a... Um, on par with you know Murray and um, maybe maybe some other um, guys who you know are just more entrenched in that classic Westminster fusion of law and grace in a, in a weird covenantal way. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I don't agree with that stuff, and I think they've gone off course. But it certainly isn't unorthodox, and it's not it can't be regarded as outside of the Reformed tradition. I just don't know how that could fly. So I don't think I would ever. Um, from what, everything I've read so far against Frame Leverage that um, that he was unorthodox. I think that if that did happen, that's probably something bad. But again, I you know, there's no, I have no real way to, to, to comment or find that out um, soon anyway. Um, so he says, though, he went to Reformed Theological Seminary at that point. And um, I'm actually, I've set up the coffee. I'm meeting him there in that seminary in Orlando, Florida, he started there in 2000. I'm going to meet him there uh, in two weeks' time. And um, and so I've got a few questions I've, I've got to ask him, so hopefully that'll be helpful. Um, but, yeah, it's just uh, looking forward to that. And just but what he says, though, uh, just thinking about this, is that he goes to Reformed Theological Seminary, and um, he says his orthodoxy was never really questioned at any point ever again. And, you know, no one everyone respected his reformed commitment and he talks a lot about the the truly reformed and the winsomely reformed and when he speaks that way i definitely it, it hits a a nerve for me i mean i do not want to be part of the truly reformed i have no desire not not in the sense that i don't want to tick all the boxes and get all the doctrine right but the truly reformed are quite a severe bunch in my opinion and um you know i just there's something missing in terms of the christian life there just because 
you know, the whole love your brothers thing, you know, it just doesn't seem to be coming across really well with the truly reformed thing. And so it's a classic scenario where truth has overtaken other things. And I don't know, it's just out of balance where the winsomely reformed idea, not saying that it's necessarily true that Westminster Seminary is not winsomely reformed, but I'm just saying I like the winsomely reformed idea. I've always regarded Westminster Seminary, California as winsomely reformed. Um, uh, I've regarded reformed theological seminary as like very, very broadly reformed, you know, maybe... And maybe that accounts for what's being said here. Um, it, it nothing, if nothing else, you know, what you do see is that, and if you are, are thinking about going to seminary and you do live in the States perhaps, or you are thinking about, you know, I don't know, doing the distance program at Reformed Theological Seminary, or I don't know, thinking about going overseas and actually just spending the 100K and doing the, the Westminster thing, uh, which I would strongly advise against if you are sane. Um, but each to his own. Um, I'm not going to rant on that right now. Um, the The thing about <clears throat> Reformed Theological Seminary is, I mean, it, what, what is demonstrated at very minimum here is that whatever whatever Flack um, frame was picking up at Westminster, whatever whatever struggles he was having by way of his Reformed commitment and confessionalism, uh, you know, just just the fact that that didn't happen in Reformed Theological Seminary just shows you that really, when you go to those two di- to those two seminaries, you're going to two different places in many ways, and it's two different kinds of Reformed theology. The one is very big tent, very big circle, hardly even confessional, yet has value better than a lot of evangelical seminaries out there. Um, the other one is extremely confessional, just with a razor sharp edge to it. You know, it's going to lead you in a certain way in a certain path. And so, I, you know, you might not know that and you might be thinking of the two as kind of two equal, I don't know, um, ways to be trained up in Reformed theology. And, and uh, you know, they're not really, uh, not, not talking about their academic caliber or their accreditation or anything, but just, just um, in terms of what you're going to come away with. Uh, they're totally different um, in that sense. Uh, you'll have a if you're after a broader base, then Reformed Theological Seminary is what you're looking for. If you're after, you know the the stuff that you're hearing from Klein and and Horton, I mean that's you do want to go to Westminster Seminary, or uh, at least you know find a seminary uh, more similar to that. Um, certainly, that much we can pick up from from this whole um, this whole thing. Um, but then moving on, I think that. Um, you see something very interesting, and maybe I'll, I'll just sort of talk a, bit, a little bit about this, and we'll draw this to a close, because after this point, it does get straight into it. We start talking about the nitty-gritty of covenant theology and scripture and exegesis. Um, so this, I suppose, is the last uh, introductory preface comment. Um, but, but he talks about Klein's method, and this as a difference to his own method. Um, I suppose we have talked a little bit in other days um, about uh, frames method perspectivalism and that and that sort of thing um, we haven't actually talked so, well I suppose implicitly we've talked a little bit about Klein's method but what he says is interesting he says um, methodologically my differences with Klein can be expressed as follows as follows uh, someone once quoted Klein to me describing his theological method uh, in this way I take the themes that are loosely tied together in scripture and I tie them together much more tightly in my theology. Um, all right, so there we go. 
uh, Frame says he thinks that's a good description of, of Klein's method. Um, in contrast to that, he says, I would say that I would approach it. Um, well, he actually says he started off feeling the same way, that that was the right way to approach theological method. Um, but he says, you know, as he moves, as he's moved forward, um, um, he says of himself, at one time I tended to see my own theology in such terms. I have come, however, to a different view today. Uh, we bring biblical themes into our theology, or when we do so, we should leave them related, just as they are in the Bible, neither looser nor tighter. So that's a really interesting way to talk about methodology because, um, you know, it's it's. <laughs> I feel like I resonate with both of those ideas, whether they're true descriptions of each man is another thing entirely but let's let's just think about what what is being said i mean you know when you i think here's how i interpret what what he says of um klein's method here in that you you see the themes you tie them more closely i feel like that's a good thing and we should obviously it's a dangerous thing if you're going to take it too far and not have your checks and balances but if you, um, you know, the job of the systematician, for example, is is not simply to repeat the Bible. You know, you don't just rewrite the Bible when you write a systematic theology. What you're doing is you're taking the Bible's themes and you're joining the dots and you're creating, uh, you're using good and necessary consequence. You're bringing the implication out. You're formulating uh, the dogma as a result of careful study and and uh, what what likely is the due implication. And, you know, that's usually the reason we stop and go, okay, well, um, that's a 100% proven doctrine. That other one right there is like 80%. You know, what we're talking about is that, you know, these these themes, it's not, it's not that we're saying that oh, a theme has been brought together where the Bible itself has not. Uh, what we're saying is, um, you know, that theme has been brought together well or perhaps with it's there but it's very implicit or um it's it's there but it's just you know i struggle to see the connection um and to the degree that we'll sort of draw those uh connections is the degree to which we will uh, have specific confidence in that doctrinal teaching at a foundational level allowing us then to build on that further with further doctrine so it's something you have to be very aware of anyway because um, I, let's let's just jump right out of uh, the conversation with Frame and, and Klein. Just think of dispensationalism, for example. Um, a lot of doctrine in dispensationalism is built on the system. Um, and, you know, it, it, the, the themes have been brought together at that foundational level so as to allow further doctrines to develop. And so usually when you peel a theology back, you see, oh, okay, well, that doctrine has been built upon the foundational doctrine. The foundational doctrine, um, you know, uh, it really needs to be assessed then. Is it truly, is it, foundational doctrines need to be very, very tight. They need to be, um, need to be secure. And then, you know, with a certain degree of, uh, you know, you have a bit of um, flex, I suppose, or, or not flex, that's a bad word, but just um, you don't need quite as much um, if you're building a doctrine right at the end of, uh, you know, the, the tower, so to speak, you've got the foundation layer, you've got the, you've got the middle layer, all these things are, are really well developed. And then, you know, sort of you're moving on to your postulations and conjectures toward the, toward the top there. Um, and usually theologians are happy to admit that and go, well, you know, because these things are so, and because we've built this on this, and because we're so confident, confident about this, at the end of the day, 
um, I'm happy to go with this last little thing. Uh, although I admit it's the most speculative of the whole tower of, you know, the system of theology. Um, and so sometimes, you know, w- one of the critiques that come against a the theology is that they, they will speak of that top little bit, the conjecture bit, as if it were the foundational bit with the same level of, of confidence. And they shouldn't do that. Um, I, would, I would argue that perhaps uh, the, the issue of the rapture in the dispensational scheme the, the need for there to be an invisible rapture of the church is one of a great example of their conjecture doctrines. It's kind of, you know, they've, 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 they've built their baseline system a lot more tightly to, and then they need to find a little way to get the rapture going. And, and so they're hunting around for like rapture verses. And, you know, I don't really mind that they're doing that so much as, uh, you know, pretending that that is as clear as the foundational doctrines themselves. But typically when you want to go and critique a, a whole sort of system of theology like that, you'll go to the, the foundation doctrines and go hang on and you know what you've built this whole thing upon is based on you know very very loosely tied themes um or the scripture hasn't joined those dots and you have so with coming back to klein um i don't think he's doing anything bad there he's do- i think it's probably is a good description of klein insofar as it's a good description of any systematic theologian doing his job um you know, you, you, that's what you expect. You like do the work, tie the themes, show us what's going on. You know, we want to see what what you've uh, what you've been able to process on this thing. Realizing that no theologian is going to be scripture, but he, you know, there might be through their study and insight a way to move forward and understanding the whole and and tying these things together. So, bottom line, I think that's a good thing. Obviously, it presents the danger uh, that that is present in every theology and every theologian. Uh, just, but there are ways to deal with that. Is my point? There are ways to look at that and and, and ask specific questions and and uh, see if in fact uh, that doctrine has been well built or not. So, with Klein in doing that, I mean, I obviously, you know, I'm I'm totally 100 percent convinced of of Klein's thing um, at that you know great systems level, and um, and I think he's done it well. I think I think Kingdom Prologue is the great example of of the the. The, the you know the, those themes that we've re- we've all seen reading our Bible but perhaps have failed to and, and just have failed to connect the dots not because they're not there uh, or they shouldn't be connected but because we just haven't studied hard enough or looked closely enough and so that's what I feel like Klein has done is really and he's really contributed to reform theology in that way um, but you know we'll look at that obviously because the the rest of the critique will follow and uh, no doubt Frame is going to go for those those connections. Um, but then of his own um, opinion there saying, hey, I want to leave things as they are. Now, again, there you can, we do that. We talk about that in, in Calvinism, for example. You know, we speak of God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. We leave those themes where they are. We don't try and pick them up. There's a certain place for that. Um, and I think where you see this, interestingly enough, is I, I would I would say it's 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 a commendable approach. It's just that it, it often doesn't give you what you need in that you'll often see this with um, guys like Don Carson, I think, or many exegetical theologians, actually. And this is what makes Klein so good and so distinct in my view. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll sort of do the text, you know, expound it, exegete it, um, and go, all right, so this is what it's saying, this is what it's not saying, and I'm just going to leave it there. Even if what they've said, the text is saying, is completely contradicted, uh, you know, perhaps a, um, a very well-accepted doctrine, they don't even feel the need to explain that or, you know, interact with it. And um, not saying, again, the frame is doing that necessarily, but that's the extreme of the other approach. And, 
you know, it's almost like, well, let's just say what the Bible's saying and feel no need to to pull the thing together. But we do have to do that. It is our task to try and understand the whole. Um, so I'm taking frame in the best light. I think what he's saying there is just he's he's pulled back on his confidence level in thinking that that, that he's got this thing down, and um, and has is more willing to to say um, perhaps more frequently at more points that he just simply this is what he can see, this is what he can't see. Uh, I'm, he's he's not going to be pushed over that line. Maybe he's felt the felt the pressure to do that in the past, or or maybe just having seen where certain connections go, uh, he's unwilling to make those connections, so as to pull away that foundation for a lot of people that are running with it, and perhaps uh, you know arrogantly. So, who knows? There could be a lot of reasons for his um, motive there. But you know, it's just a very. I think it's too interesting where you actually need both of those things. You know, that's the bottom line. You do need. There are times when you need to. Uh, tie the things together the times when you need to just stop and say all right you know I'm, I'm i'm letting this thing go perhaps the the next little bit there which um frame talks about and i think this is probably a good point as well he says um you know one of the big differences between his uh theological method and klein's theological method is that klein tends to um draw sharp twofold distinctions and no doubt he has in mind the holy and the common and law and gospel and that sort of thing, um, where he says scripture, as he understands it, presents a continuum or a loose contrast. More uh, probably he means more often uh, than not, he sees things by way of his perspectival methodology, and this is why he gets a lot of uh, critique on this because everything becomes a kind of continuum rather than a contrast and so you can see how it doesn't gel well with Kleinians um, no doubt it's connected to the preceding point because you know to the degree that you're going to tie those themes and join those dots you're going to have a sharper degree of confidence to make you know these these um, these distinctions and um, as a result of that you're going to build on those things in ways uh, that you wouldn't otherwise have the confidence to do or perhaps wouldn't even be able to to say uh, are distinguished uh, in, in quite the same um, way or at the same level. And so, you know, th- this point, I think, comes out of that preceding point. Um, if you leave things as they are and you're unwilling to sort of make that jump and tie tie things together, you might well feel, all right, you know, I'm just going to have to kind of present a little bit of a, a spectrum here, but then especially with Frame's particular theological method, which I'm starting to get my head around now um, in perspectivalism. I mean, I, I can see how, especially with this equal ultimacy deal, which we'll come back to at some time. But uh, you know, he, there is this danger. I think um, uh, as much as as much as it would be helpful at certain points, um, and I think this was Klein's thing um, when he wrote against. Uh, frame that there's a potential danger here to just turn everything into a, a continuum and see everything um, a, as one blur <laughs> rather than a sharp distinguishing point. Um, so it all sounds very abstract at this point, and hopefully as we keep going, it'll become more more clear because we do actually have very distinct lucid points to look at here by way of covenant of works, covenant of grace, you know, common, holy, um, and uh, republication, all those things that Klein is um, sh- known for and is distinct in his theology. So um, with that in mind, though, there we go. There's a couple of thoughts about theological method. Um, and uh, 
Which one is right? Which one is wrong? Well, the irony is I put them all on a continuum. Oh boy, what does that mean? Um, I let, let me try and get a little sharper. You know, I do one hundred percent see the need to distinguish sharply. Um, but I always think of what Sproul said. He said um, to uh, to distinguish uh, the soul from the body is to do it no harm. <laughs> but to separate it, to separate the soul from the body is to kill it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it just stuck with me. It's one of those sayings. And what he's saying there is, you know, the reality is you've, there's a difference between separating and distinguishing. Um, and that's a really great way to bring it out. Um, and a lot of theology involves distinguishing something. So I do think we need to sharply distinguish things. But there is the danger of taking distinguishing to mean separate. And then you get into trouble. And I think you have a lot of, of stuff to look at in church history to show that. I mean, oh, Trinitarian heresies. Wow. Do we need to say anything? Uh, hypostatic union, Christology. Uh, hey, you know, let's mention dispensationalism while we're at it. I think that's an example of distinguishing, I mean, separating, not distinguishing uh, as we think about uh, the people of God throughout redemptive history. Um, man, more we could say. But there is value in sharp distinguishing as long as we're keeping in mind um, that... And I, I think Klein didn't do this. He didn't separate. So he's he's in safe ground. Uh, as much as Frame would want to critique him, I would say that Klein is re- he's the exemplar in terms of um, distinguishing but not separating, especially the way he weaves his republication thing. It's amazing. Um, and it's really the exact um, example of, of a careful distinguishing without separating. Um, but to take Frame's critique at, in, in the best light and just use it to understand, you know, to turn your critics into your cr- coaches kind of thing, um, it's a valid point. You know, just make sure that you are um, not overlooking the relationship between things, not just creating a rigid distinction where things um, shouldn't be dis- distinguished Um you know, even, you know, I, well, I was going to go on this whole thing on Calvinism and Arminianism, but hey, this is getting too long. And like it, I, I warned you, it was going to be a ramble. Tuesday nights, guys, it's my soliloquy night. So, okay, I'll stop there. But good news is now we're on to looking at the covenant itself. And um, if you are in the book, I'm on page uh, 155 from this point on. So uh, this is where it gets exciting. Um, otherwise, hope you have a great day if you're listening to this in the morning or a good evening or wherever you are in the week um, and we'll catch you tomorrow bless you